0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please do turn to 2 Kings chapter 10. Uh, If you've been around Windsor for any length of time, you're going to be familiar with these two phrases. Maybe over-familiar. And some of you may even be fed up hearing them. Or certainly one of them. Here's the first one. It's not only how you start that matters. It's also how you finish that counts. And then the the second one, the heart of the matter, is the matter of art. Now, I know some people are groaning, but I was looking back, it's been at least a month since I said that. (laughs) So, you need to give me a wee bit of goodness. Well, uh, as we return to a story that we began two weeks ago, we're going to reconnect with someone who started reasonably well, but finished badly. And the key reason for their kind of disappointing end and ending was a matter of the heart. And the man's name was Jehu, who, if you were here two weeks ago, you remember, he was anointed as the 10th king of Israel, the 10th king in the northern kingdom. And he was anointed on the QT, so to speak, (laughs) behind closed doors, and then he went on a killing spree. Kind of Liam Neeson-esque. I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. Now, if, that, if you don't know that, someone tell understand why I said that. But anyway, Jehu went on a killing spree and he took out, and this was in 2 Kings chapter 9, he took out three notable royals. The first one was Joram, or Joram, who was the previous king of Israel. He shot him between his shoulder blades with an arrow, which then pierced his heart. And then Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah, the king of the southern kingdom, he was killed. And then finally, the third notable royal was Jezebel, that notorious and kind of rather messed up, a dolled up wife of Ahab. Now the fact that Jehu went on a killing spree, that is not the reason I say that he finished badly. In fact, and this is where it gets hard, at so many levels. Jehu was God's chosen instrument of judgment. And what he was doing in 2 Kings 9 in decimating the house of Ahab was in fulfilment of the word of God. Or to quote 2 Kings nine twenty six, 26, this was in accordance with the word of the Lord. And so the horror of what we encounter in those texts, Jehu's bloody purge, as it's sometimes referred to, is somehow sanctioned by God. And that's hard to stomach for many of us. It's certainly hard to stomach for many in our world today. During the week, uh, one of you sent me an email. And the subject in my inbox read, Careful what you eat. So I was intrigued. And when I opened the email, I I found a quote that was always in the body of the email, just a quote. And it was a quote from a guy called Mark Buchanan, who many of you will know as one of my favourite authors. And it comes from his book, one of his very early books, called Your God is Too Save. And just before the quote that was in the email, Buchanan was writing about, I know this was a bread book, Buchanan was writing about the importance of feeding on God's word. And as he writes about this, he refers to those well-known words of Jesus that Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness during his 40-day spiritual retreat. Words that were first quoted in Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man, mankind, man and woman shall not live by bread alone. But we only survive on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here's the quote that was in the body of that email from the book. The Ethiopian emperor, Meneleth II, that should be, took this literally. Whenever he fell ill, he had eight actual pages from the Bible in the belief that this would cure him. He died in 1913 after ingesting the entire book of Second Kings. the quote goes on, or sorry, the quote goes on, I want to scoff at his superstition, except that a sliver of warning pricks my skin. Because I have seen many people, self-included, writhe in soul sickness by a refusal to eat the word of God. Now that's a fascinating quote. It's a fascinating thought, and there's a lesson in, the latter part of that in itself. But you see as I read Second Kings 10. Which we're going to do shortly. I have a word that for many people here. And in our world today. That as they feed on 2 Kings 10. As they read it. They can be left feeling sick and queasy, <coughs> Not because of the bloody horror. And although this is, as we're going to discover, this is stomach-churning stuff, in a moment we're going to read about the next day delivery of 70 severed heads in a basket to J.U. But the reason that lots of people read 2 Kings generally, but 2 Kings 9 and 2 Kings 10 and feel sick is because of the difficulty in digesting the judgment of God. And the difficulty in common terms with the involvement of God's word in the implantation, implementation of his judgment. What we read in 2nd Kings 9 and 10 disturbs us, confuses us, upsets us. You see, when Richard Dawkins and others like him read these kind of texts, who can tell me how they describe God? a moral monster. So they read it off. And they read Christianity off. But you see, irrespective of what we think, or how anyone feels about it, the judgment of God is a reality. Because the justice of God is a reality. And so many people in Second Kings from the house of Ahab had been warned. They'd been warned by and through people like Elijah and Elisha and many others. They had been given numerous chances and opportunities to repent, but they just refused. And they repeatedly and they consistently rejected the word of God. And therefore there comes a point, there comes a time whenever justice and judgment are inevitable. They've just got to rule out. And God made that clear way back then. God has made that clear to us. God must, God will judge sin. He has to. Because he is God. He is a God of justice. And actually so often we want a God of justice. We need a God of justice. But he is a God of justice. He's committed to justice. In fact, Psalm 99 says he loves justice. And so God can't. And he won't sweep sin and rebellion under the carpet. Because it matters. Justice matters. Judgment matters. And in 2 Kings and so much of it. Certainly 9 and 10. That is what we face. And either we write it off and we rant and we rave about it. We dismiss it. Or you stand in awe. And you worship the God of justice who always does. right. And bear in mind where we started two weeks ago. God is slow to anger. And God does not want anyone to perish. God's what confirms that. God is patient. God gives us time. To quote Ezekiel, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but there comes a point. And so I'm not going to stand up here and explain this away, excuse this, try to rationalize this, try to defend a God of justice and judgment. And so what I want to do simply engage with this God. Respond to this God and to his word. And so if you have a copy of 2 Kings 10 and from front you, let me walk you through the first 17 verses and then later on uh, we're going to stand the second. So if you have a copy in front of you. Second Kings 10 is, is part two of Jehu's story. Jehu's story begins, in, in a sense, in, in 2 Kings chapter 9, although he's referred to before that, but a story begins in earnest in chapter 9, and then this is the second part of the story. And look at verse 1, because 2 Kings 10 starts by telling us there were still members of Ahab's house around and alive. Seventy sons, at least. And so Jehu writes to their guardians, And he suggests, listen, I want you to choose one of the 70 princes, enthrone him as a king, and set him up to fight. Well, those guardians and officials are having none of it. Because they had heard what had happened to Yoram and Ahaziah. And so they send a message back to Jehu of submission. Look at verse 5. We are your servants and we will do anything you say. (coughs) So Jehu writes a second letter. Do you remember writing letters? Jehu writes a second letter. And he says, okay, if that's really true, if you're going to be loyal to me, here's what I want you to do. (coughs) Decapitate the 70 princes and meet me this time tomorrow. So 24 hours later, baskets arrive with Jehu, containing 70 severed heads. And Jehu then arranges them in two piles at the entrance to the city. And he leaves them there overnight. And next morning, Jehu distances himself from these killings, from these murders. And so he stands up before the people and he says killed all of these. And then immediately, for the first time, immediately he confirms the word of God. He says this, know then that not a word the Lord has spoken against the house of Ahab will fail. Get this, the Lord has done what he announced through his servant Elijah. react to that the Lord has done (coughs) what he announced through his servant Elijah and this this is true because back in 1 Kings 21 God through Elijah had said to Ahab you are heading for disaster because you are causing all of Israel to sin and therefore I am going to wipe you out and I'm going to wipe all of your descendants. judgment day for you is coming and 2 Kings 9 and 2 Kings 10 are simply God fulfilling his word. And God using Jehu as an instrument of judgment. Not a word the Lord has spoken will fail. Not a word. Irrespective of how upsetting it is to Stress or uncomfortable. <laughs> so you go back to the text. So you've these seventy heads piled up at the city gates, and then immediately after in verse eleven we read we read that Jehu Jehu then kills everyone in Jezreel who remained of the house of eh. 14, the killing continues. Jehu heads for Samaria, and as he's en route, he bumps into some relatives of the king of Judah, Ahaziah. And those relatives that he bumps into say, hey, hello Jehu, we are on our way to meet and greet the families of Ahab and Jezebel. Clearly they had not heard what had happened in this part of the world. And so what happens? Look, Jehu kills all 42 of them. Now here's the question. Was he meant to do that? Or was he now starting to go a bit rogue off script? Was he starting to pursue his own interests now? Did God say anything about killing the house of Judah? Well, anyway, Jehu massacres 42 of them. And then he continues on to Samaria. And I'm, just, I'm just telling you what the text says. And he meets someone else and your heart begins to pound. He meets a guy called Jehonadab, Who's not on his way to meet the relatives of Ahab and Jezebel. But it turns out he's actually on his way to meet Jehu. And so Jehu goes, hey, do you want to join me in my chariot? Do you want to come reign with me? Do you want to come and see how devoted to the Lord I am? Look at verse 16. Now come with me and see my Z for the Lord so Jehonab Adab accepts the invitation he gets on board and when they arrive at their destination and this is verse 17 it says this when Jehu came to Samaria he killed all who were left there of Ahab's family he destroyed them and then it's done again according To the word of the Lord. God's word is fulfilled. God's word does not fail. Divine justice and judgment are delivered. Is it pleasant? No it's not. Is it necessary? It appears so. You see God's word and God's justice are 100% dependable. His word will not return to him empty and his justice will prevail as the, writer, the wisdom writer of Ecclesiastes says, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every day. God's word will not fail. This is inevitable. His word and his justice are 100% dependable. And there is a sense that, that what happened here in Israel, please hear me, there is a sense in what happened here in Israel at this time was unique. As God was preserving his people from the wickedness of numerous others from within and without. And God was preparing his people for a new day, a new future. And that new day and that new future became a reality with the coming of Jesus as we we're about to celebrate. Who ultimately laid down his life. Why? To take away the sins of the world. <laughs> That's why Jesus came to take away. To hold the Lamb of God, said John the Baptist, who comes to take away the sins of the world. And whenever Jesus laid down his life on that cross, the justice of God was satisfied. Which enables us, it enables mankind to believe, and to repent, and to follow, and to be reconciled, and to be redeemed, and to be rescued. But you see, if you refuse to believe, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to follow Jesus, if you refuse to listen to the warnings, then God's word, which is 100% dependable, confirms that one day Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. And to those who have only lived for self, who have dismissed and rejected God, Jesus will say, apart from me, I never knew you. That. genuinely does not want anyone to perish. His word confirms that 100% dependable. But do your own thing. Go your own way. Repeatedly reject Jesus and divine justice and divine judgment will play out negatively in your life as it did in the lives of umpteen others in Jezreel. You see it remains a fearful thing a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the Holy God. (coughs) Okay, so back to the story. You're never going to come to the reason. Because the killing isn't over, and I wish it was. Sometimes you set out to do a series, and then you get that point. (laughs) You get that point. And I've always said I'm not going to duck the difficult stuff and I've always said we're going, to, we're going to read God's word as God's word and we're not just going to pick and choose. But I must admit, I'll be really honest with you, church. Recently I thought they would bail out now. Stop now. I guess it's hard to stop, now. But the killing isn't over. And so let's stand the public reading and we get a break. by the are standing if you want to run them down the verse 18 says this and Matthew you can these next press for it then Jehu <coughs> brought all the people together and said that they listen to this Ahab served Baal a little Jehu will serve him much what? and then he says now summon all the prophets of Baal all his servants and all his priests See that no one is missing because I have got to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. And anyone who fails to come will no longer live. And get this, but Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy and so Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. So they proclaimed it and then he sent word throughout Israel and all the servants of Baal came. Not one stayed away and they crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, bring robes for all the servants of Baal. So he brought in robes for them. And then Jehu and Jehonabab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal. And Jehu said to the servants of Baal, look around and see that no one who serves the Lord is here with you, only servants of Baal. So they went into the midst sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had posted 80 men outside with this warning. If one of you lets any of the men I am placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he offered the guards and officers, go in and kill them. And let no one escape and so they cut them down with the sword and the guards and the officers threw the bodies out and they entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and they burned it and they demolished the sacred stone of Baal. And they tore it down the temple of Baal and the people have used it as a toilet to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. Verse 29, however he did not Turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, which he had caused Israel to commit the worship of the golden calves of Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu,
1: because you have done well in accomplishing
0: what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants are going sitting sit in the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jericho, but we'll stop there. Gravity will see, see to say that Jehu is coming is an understatement, so he pretends he's gonna serve Baal just like Ahab did only he's gonna serve him even better, and so he organises a sacrifice. And he insists that all the prophets and all the servants and all the, the priests of Baal are there and the place is packed to the rafters. And all who are associated with Baal, and how interesting is this, all who are associated with Baal are asked to wear something specific so that they can be identified. And outside, Jehu has positioned eighty he and the moment he finished making the burnt offering, And all Baal's devotees were lost in wonder, love and praise. The assassins are dispatched and they kill every Baal worshipper and they demolish the sacred stone and they tear down the temple converting it into a public convenience. And therefore in verse 28 we read, And surely this was a major milestone in the reinstatement of true worship, or at least this is a milestone in the destruction of false worship. It says, So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. I mean it's a moment for celebration. (coughs) given how people like Elijah had spoken out against Baalism Jehu does deserve credit he had removed the worst kind of idolatry that was present and practiced in that place in that time a godless religion had been destroyed and that was good but as we come to the end of Jehu's story and input, and the end of his, his reign, his twenty-eight years he reigned for to the end of his twenty-eight year reign, verses twenty-nine to thirty-one provide a really interesting and somewhat sad insight into how he finished. And into what was really going on in his life, which takes us back to the beginning because it's not only how you start that matters, it's how you finish that counts. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Jehu appears to have done a lot of good. a lot. I know we don't don't think it's something, but he did what he was meant to do. He was used by God. But the thing is, his obedience was partial and his worship was compromised. And this is the critical thing. His obedience was partial and his worship was compromised. Jehu did get rid of the worst kind of idolatry, but he tolerated other kinds. And so verse 29, immediately after that glowing endorsement of verse 28, we are confronted with this word, however. If only the narrative had ended in verse 28, but it doesn't. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jericho. see whenever some people read this they conclude you know what this reveals this actually reveals that Jehu was anti Ahab as opposed to Pro God all along he had a vendetta against Ahab but he was not proved He he did everything to eradicate Ahab's house and anything associated with it, including Baal worship. But when it came to worshiping God, he was happy to compromise and he was happy to tolerate others doing likewise. Jehu was not sold out for God. Jehu did not fully obey the commands of God. Baal worship was eliminated, brilliant, but calf, golden calf worship. Other gods worship. Idol worship was still alive and well and endorsed. Certain sins they were dealt with. They were tackled head on. They were confessed. But others were just left. They were accommodated. They were entertained. And there's a lesson for me. Sometimes I will deal with certain sins in my life. And areas of compromise. And that's good. But I leave others in place. And I sometimes even turn a blind eye to them because I justify having sorted out some of the bigger sins in life and confessed those. And the problem is, partial <coughs> obedience is disastrous. And as a result, J.U. finished badly. And unless I am ruthless, and I know the stories of fly too many. This lightly. But unless I am ruthless, I run that risk. God did take note of what Jehu had done. God did reward Jehu for doing what he was asked to do. And so he says to him, Listen, Jehu, because you've done well in accomplishing what is ready to eyes. You're you're Lying is going to continue for the fourth generation. There's going to be three more kings if your reign is going to last for a hundred more years. JQ was far from perfect, but he was used by God as his instrument of judgment. So he gets rewarded. But then we come to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart, because then it starts yet. Yes, you've done some good things, and, and I will reward you. And you, you, your reign your reign will your line will go on for the fourth generation. Yet, Jehu was not careful to keep the Lord, the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. You see, half-hearted commitment, lukewarm devotion, partial surrender. That was good. And there was another king, and, and we know the story. There was another king, probably the most famous one, who had this exact same problem because these are the words that were written about the wisest man who ever lived. As Solomon grew old, his ways turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. Started so well, Solomon. Ended <coughs> so badly. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so Jesus summoned up the commandments and he said, here's the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so as I bring this to close this morning, let me ask you a familiar Christ: I your heart? your heart? <coughs> Is it fully devoted to God? Are there other gods are there other idols soliciting your affection compromising your whole heart of worship are there unconfessed sins entertained sins that are impacting the state of your heart J.H. You didn't finish well because his heart wasn't fully in <laughs> and so this morning if you recognize partial obedience or compromised worship If you sense that your heart's beginning to go a bit cold or drift or get hard. Please allow God's word. His heart searching word to draw you back. you (laughs) in your ways. And encourage you to recommit your heart to an awesome God who is just. To an awesome God who is the judge of all the earth who will do right. Recommit your heart to an awesome God who because of Jesus is your father who renews and restores hearts in order to know and love him. Before I hand back the brand, the Apostle John in his first letter says this to believers. Now this was written in Christ. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. You see, the Bible for your heart and for men the battle for our heart's worship continues daily and relentlessly and will do so until Jesus returns. And if you're going to finish well then, you need to give God first place in your heart. Because as I say, the heart of the matter is always the matter of God.